Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories, and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with me here today. I appreciate you. I'm so grateful to be able to get to spend some time with you, talking to you about how you can thrive in your life and in your business. We really are got some really exciting stuff for you today, and um, I'm actually going to do an abbreviated intro to give time for the amazing people that are joining me here on the show today to really give you some deep insights both into situations that are going on today and what um, the root causes of those are, as well as some ways that you can really then up-level yourself. Some solutions. We want to always give you information for you to feel and be empowered in everything that you do in life. Um, you know, ultimately it's choice. We can be dominated and controlled by things outside of ourselves, or we can find the solutions within ourselves to thrive where we are. Now, sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes the chips are stacked against us. Uh, sometimes the possibilities are not endless. They are very limited. Um, but what we do with even the simplest of do you choose A or do you choose B decisions can make a massive difference in where our life ends up. It's those smallest of needlepoint shifts that really can allow us the capability to really be able to sometimes have the greatest, widest difference out in the distance in the future. Um, it, it, it almost can seem imperceptible in the current moment when we choose one path over the other, what the long-term effect of that can be. Um, and that's true historically, too. A lot of times, um, actions of people from the past um, have massively dramatic impact on us now. And it was a sometimes haphazard choice on their, on their part. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some of the things that have deeply dramatic ramifications on our current situations in the modern world that were, I don't know what else to call them, but plots. They were very deeply, intricately constructed. Um, and we still feel the impact of, uh, you know, the evil that men do. I just don't know how else to say it. And uh, all you'd have to do is just turn on the TV and watch a news report or any of those kind of things, or even you know, go to the bank and have them tell you you need to wear a mask in order to do banking. 
right? <laughs> if anybody had ever told you uh, the bank would require you to wear a mask to come in to do banking, you'd have laughed, right? The concept of putting a mask on to go into the bank is just so counterintuitive. And yet, that's the world we live in now. Um, and those kind of things have such a dramatically huge impact on our day-to-day -day life. The decisions of others, the actions of people outside of us that then impact ourselves, you know. Uh, a person chooses not to wear a mask. Worse yet, a person that knows that they're contagious goes out into the world because whatever their reason is. Let's not be in a place of judging, but they do go out um, and then they infect many, many people around them. Um, and uh, to no fault of the people who are affected, they just happened to, I don't know, need food for their children, and now they're sick. You see, it's sometimes the things that we don't think about that have the hugest impact on the world around us. And it's important for us to consciously make the choice to be, number one, the best version of ourselves, even when motorcycles are riding loudly outside of your window. I don't know why the traffic is as crazy as it is right now. Sorry about the distractions, but I hope that you're getting the point that I'm making here, that you always have in your own life the power of choosing of who you want to be. You can't change your circumstance, and your choices may be very minute, um, but there are so many authors that I brought here to you that will tell you their stories, today's no exception, um, of coming from something that seemed impossible and being in a place now where they're making a massive dramatic impact on the world, just being the best version of themselves. And ultimately, in the end, that's all we can really do, right? is we can take today, maximize our opportunities today. I mean, we can make the other choice. People do every day. Out of frustration, desperation, all of those kind of things, people do things that have negative impact on themselves, number one, as well as the people in the world around them. Other people in the same exact situation make a choice they make such a hugely impactful difference on the world around them. Same situation, just the tiniest little bit of difference in choice. And that's really what I want to you to uh, you know, focus on as we go into these interviews today is the power of your choice, what you can do to make a difference in your own life so that you spend your time and you really can live as a thriving entrepreneur. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs>
<laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. I appreciate you being here with us today. We're going to jump right into our first really exciting interview. I am so excited to introduce to you Her Excellency Ambassador Ericana Chimburi um, Kwai. Kwai. Wow. Okay. Thank you, Ambassador. I appreciate that. Um, and her book, Africa 101. Ambassador, thanks so much for spending some time with us here today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. So give us just a little bit of, of an understanding of your background and what you do in the world. Well, I was brought into this world over 60 years ago, uh, born in some little village in Zimbabwe called Chivu, C-H-I-V-H. VHU. I uh, went to school in Zimbabwe and uh, for, was fortunate enough uh, to, uh, to have been influenced greatly by my Peace Corps teachers, um, who majority were uh, Americans. Uh, I did have others who were British and Australian and New Zealand, uh, but uh, there was something special about the American Peace Corps teachers. They were very friendly. They were teachers who, uh, during that time in the 70s, that was during apartheid uh, Rhodesia, white people were not good to us. Um, and so to find white people who would invite you to their homes for afternoon tea, white people who were very interested and would come with you to your village, uh, would uh, sleep on a mat floor, uh, eat with you cross-legged uh, out of the same bowl. We would get up in the morning and we would go fetch firewood and, and fetch water for morning tea. Um, that was unusual. So I was quite impressed. And I remember thinking at a, at a young age back then that wherever these people come from, I hope someday I'll go there. As luck would have it, <clears throat> I did get a scholarship and my scholarship, <clears throat> I could have gone anywhere on earth. But because of the profound effect that my Pisco, my American Pisco teachers had on me, I knew without a doubt that I was going to choose the United States of America. And that's how I came here. And uh, I must say, uh, as, I was, as we were going through uh, the situation with George Floyd, I, I couldn't help but keep thinking, you know, I came to this country and those Pisco teachers uh, that I met, 
I've since met many, many more like them right here in the United States. But the realization that there are elements uh, within them that would represent <clears throat> the likes of uh, Officer Chauvin was just saddening and, um, and depressing to say, how do you take such a wonderful country with so many well-meaning, and of course, as an ambassador, I've met many uh, white Americans who truly, truly love Africa, and, uh, and meanwhile for Africa, then to have all their good work and goodwill for Africa just kind of be tarnished by a handful of a few, that was a bit disturbing um, because I have many, many white, good white friends. And so that was disappointing, but be it as it may, I came to this country to uh, go to school, uh, did my first degree at Fisk University, uh, as well as my master's. I have a first degree in uh, uh, general chemistry and a master's in organic chemistry. And from Fisk, I went on across the street to Meharry Medical College, where I obtained my medical degree. I did a three-year residency in general surgery uh, at State University of New York, followed by another three years of family medicine back at Meharry Medical College. I practiced um, 25 years as a family physician. And, uh, and then after that, I was called to come to Washington, D.C. and uh, become the African Union permanent representative to the United States. I held the position for three years. And of course, my uh, cancellation of my contract uh, came because um, one of the things I realized when I came to Washington, I knew there was a disrespect for, uh, for, 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 for the Africans, but I just didn't realize how profound uh, the disrespect was. Um, how we would attend meetings, and uh, the, the, the ministers, the ambassadors, uh, all meetings here in the US, meetings in Africa. Um, but what they said was just disregarded, you know? And so the conversations even among the ambassadors and the ministers was, why do we even meet with these people? Because what we say doesn't seem to matter. They, uh, and then of course I later found out in talking to some of my colleagues um, and they were saying actually ambassador you need to talk to uh, some of your uh, uh, colleagues in Africa tell them they need to speak up because when we go to Africa we go to Africa with our documents already uh, printed out ready for signature and uh, because what the Africans say doesn't matter and these are friends who are telling me to say tell talk to your people they need to challenge us you know but be it as it may um, as I began to understand what was really going on, the one particular issue that kept coming up was the lack of understanding and appreciation for what was really going on in Africa, not only by even some people in the U.S. government, but also by the African diaspora, who you think you are the one born in Africa, you should know your history, but the reality is we were all taught colonial history. I did not even know when I came to this country that there were this many black people in this country. We were not taught uh, black American history. And so the realization of that ignorance and how it impacts our decisions or whether or not to work with Africa or how we engage Africa, it got me to where I started speaking out. Uh, the biggest one that I felt was an issue 
was that every time I would finish speaking, regardless of the audience, be it a white audience or black audience or continental Africans, invariably the first question was, but the African leaders are correct. As if that should be the beginning and end of the conversation. But then I said, okay, I get that. If you say there are issues, I get you. But try not to use uh, uh, the same painting brush to paint all the African leaders. If there is an issue, let's isolate it. Let's talk about a particular country. Let's talk about a particular issue. But to allow that issue to, ble to bleed throughout the continent, that's not fair. I know many African leaders who are doing very well for their people. They are doing the best they can under very difficult circumstances. And on the issue of corruption, I would then pose them this question. I would say the corruption watchdogs, they say 50 billion gets out of Africa from corruption, <clears throat> from corruption every year. That's the whole continent. I get that. That's a lot of money. We must go after it. It should not happen. But on the other hand, and you, are, you have every right to be outraged. But on the other hand, France, that little bitty country alone, is forcing 14 African countries to give up over $500 billion every year. This has been going on for six decades. Where is your outrage over, over France? And that's when I began to realize almost 100% of the time, be it uh, uh, Americans in, in, in government, American citizens, continental Africans, African-Americans, uh, for a long time, most people had never heard of the pact for the continuation of colonization which was a horrible pact that African countries were forced to sign by France, where they were ordered to deposit initially 85% of their bank reserves with the French Central Bank under the control of the French Minister of Finance. They also, that same pact, uh, ordered the Africans that you can only uh, uh, have your <clears throat> military trained by France. You can only buy your military equipment from France and that France will have its military presence in your country and can invade you without notice. That you cannot have military alliance with other African countries who are your neighbors. They also said, if you should wish to tap into some of the bank reserves that you deposited with France, you have to submit your country's financial report. And if approved, you can only access 20% of your deposit from the previous year. The, the, pre the years prior to that, they're gone. That's just that, you're not gonna get them back. That 20%, if you are approved, you get it as a loan at commercial interest rates. Now that was tough. To say your own money, now you gotta borrow it, and now you start owing France for borrowing your own money. And by the way, they are pulling all the 85% reserves that, are, that they are collecting from the African countries, investing those reserves in the French stock market under the French name, and the countries don't have to know what the returns are. They also said all your minerals discovered and yet to be discovered, French companies have first right of refusal. All your, um, um, uh, your contracts, public and private French companies have the first right of refusal. So you look at it and say, if you were to be a president of any of those, uh, any of those um, 14 countries, you've given up your financial resources, you've given up your mineral resources, and you've given up um, um, your natural resources, your military, you've given up your military. What power do you have? 
what, what, how do you really expect this president to function and, and do what's right for their people? So as I began to speak about that in realizing that that is the core of Africa's problems. And until we understand the core of the problems, the root cause of the problems, we are always going to be complaining about leadership, leadership, leadership. Yes, we have some, some leadership issues, but show me one African country where there was a leadership change, a regime change, and things got better. None, zero, zouch. Why? Because the fundamentals are still not being addressed. And for us, the fundamentals, they go back to the Berlin Conference, where they spent four months from November of 1884 to February of 1885, strategizing on how to turn the continent upside down and put up a strategy that the little bitty little African countries they were going to split us up into are in, in countries that can never survive on their own. And should they try to survive, they're easy to destabilize. They created an Africa that they made sure that Africa and her children are forever defeated and dominated. So that Berlin conference, people must understand why they spent four months, the colonizers. And these colonizers were France, Britain, Germany, Spain, Italy, Belgium. They wanted to make sure, and I underscore this to the readers, that Berlin conference, its main purpose was for the colonizers to organize themselves so they could see to it that Africa and her children in Africa and around the world were forever defeated and dominated. That's how we have the current African countries. And then as we were getting to independence in the early 50, late 50s and early 60s, these, these little bitty countries were given independence, political, financial independence. No, they kept that. They kept that. But they said politically, you are a sovereign nation. So little Djibouti, little B Benin, little Malawi, you are sovereign nations. And when you go to the world stage for the purposes of trading, you are equal to China, you're equal to the United States, you're equal to India. And now European Union has come together as EU. You, you can negotiate with EU. It is insanity of the highest order. It's like taking a wannabe boxer and throwing them in the heavyweight boxing ring. And when they don't even make it to the stage and collapse, the world says, ah, why are you collapsing? It's like asking my poor husband to fight uh, Mike Tyson. It is ridiculous, but it was all by design and it goes back to the Berlin Conference. Then I also realized that the failure to make that connection because other questions I would get, oh, but Ambassador, why are we talking about the Berlin Conference? That's a thing of the past. And some of these people are the educated ones. I remember one day I was specifically uh, finishing a, a, a conference uh, where I had been keynote speaker at the World Bank and two economists, African economists who work for the World Bank followed me. And they said, Ambassador, why are you still talking about the Berlin Conference? It's a thing of the past. This is an economist with the World Bank who's supposed to be representing Africa. And he has a total disconnect between what was the decisions that were made during the Berlin Conference and that 136 years later, those decisions and the policies put in place are still in place. 
African countries' inability to trade with each other is a major blow to economic development. Something that simple. It is easier for goods to come from the United States to Egypt than from South Sudan to Egypt. It was all by design. Goods from Kenya to Central Africa Republic, they have to go all the way down to South Africa, Cape Town, and then all the way up to, to the West Coast, to uh, Cameroon, Yaoundé, then to be ferried into, into Central Africa Republic. The cost of doing business in Africa is so expensive that even people who are doing business, you don't even know how they make money. It was all by design. So by messing with trade, by messing with our ability to, to interact with each other, by the way, they also made sure that a lot of the countries, they would be assigned to different colonizers who spoke different languages. I use an example of traveling from, from uh, Zambia. You're speaking English. And then if you're driving up north, pretty soon you are in DRC, you're speaking French. Go a little bit east, pretty soon you are in, uh, no, rather west, uh, pretty soon you are now in uh, Equatorial Guinea. A little bit north, you are now in southern Cameroon and you're speaking English. And then go a little bit north, in, still in Cameroon, now you're speaking French. And before you know it, you are in Nigeria and now you're speaking English. It was all by design to take tribes that used to be one humongous family, divide them up, give it two generations, they won't even realize they were once one family. It was divide and conquer, total destruction. It was all by design. So those are some of the fundamentals. And then you look at uh, the uh, multinational companies, all of them pretty much go back to uh, the former colonizers. If a country was a former British colony, uh, the majority of the multinationals in that country who employ close to 75% of uh, the people uh, are owned by British companies. If you were former French, same thing. If you were former uh, Germany, uh, Germany will be in uh, Namibia. If you were former um, uh, Mozambique, I mean, sorry, Portuguese, that would be Mozambique and Angola. Uh, so whatever, whoever your former colonizer was, the majority of the companies in your country who pretty much control the economy are coming from that, uh, from that, uh, 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 that, uh, that country. And so to a great extent, what was denied Africans at the time of independence was economic liberation. To this day, average, uh, uh, the average African country has no control of their economic liberation, wherein lies the problem. So those fundamentals, if they are not addressed, if Africans are not able to trade with, with each other, Africans are not uh, able to move freely, Africans cannot have a single uh, uh, currency, a single military, a single uh, monetary policy, a single stock exchange, an African central bank, we're talking pillars of development. These issues need to be addressed. But we were so messed up that getting us together to accomplish some of these very important milestones that are stepping stones to a truly liberated Africa are not going, if, unless they're put in place, Africa is forever going to be chasing our tails. So in the book, I decided that I was going before the book, of course, when I was still the representative, I made a decision to begin to educate the African diaspora for they are the missing ingredient to, in order for Africa to build the Africa that we want. 
the heads of states are giving contracts to the Chinese, to the Europeans, is because the average African country does not have the capacity needed to build the Africa we want. Not a single African country has the ability to build a railway line. Not a single African country has the capacity to build an airport. All these basic infrastructure projects. We can build roads. I think by and large we have companies that can build roads. Uh, but beyond that, uh, the capacity that is needed is in the diaspora. So the brain drain that started 400 years ago with slavery, followed by those who left Africa in search of greener pastures, it continues, which results in Africa not having the capacity it needs. I give an example of healthcare. People will complain, I went home and the healthcare facilities, there are more Ghanaian doctors in New York City than in the entire country of Ghana. There are more Nigerian doctors in Los Angeles than in the entire country of Nigeria. The same is true in all other countries, is true in all the sectors, engineering, education, you name it. The capacity that Africa needs is in the African diaspora. So then how do these people who don't understand what is really going on with their Africa, how can we get them to reverse the brain drain by giving back to the continent, by contributing to the development of the continent? So I decided the place to start is by educating the diaspora and friends of Africa in the Americas. So the first thing I did, I traveled a lot. I was gone all the time. But then I realized, you know, there's only so much traveling I can do. So I started doing videos. And one of the videos I focused on France. And I felt that France, even to this day, I do believe that Africa, uh, France is Africa's biggest risk to peace and security because of the policies that France has in Africa. And so I was so vocal about what France is doing. I capitalized on the pact for the continuation of colonization. I needed people to understand that think about the 500 billion alone. That is before what the companies are taking. That is before the mining. That is before everything else they're doing. Pure hard cash. African countries are being forced to send their money to, to France. Those who had refused in the past, they were assassinated. There were coups in their countries and they were assassinated. Well documented. Uh, Guinea and Mali were the first ones to refuse to sign the pact. We all know what happened to them. France went in, destroyed everything, took everything that they thought they had brought to those countries and what they could not take, they destroyed. They poured concrete into the sewage pipes, completely devastated the two economies. It was done as a way of letting other countries know that if you don't sign the pact for the continuation of colonization, this is what's gonna happen to your country. So between late 50s and early 60s, a lot of countries got scared. So they signed the, the stupid deplorable pact. So be it as it may, letting everybody know that this pact is still in place, that Africans are giving four, $500 billion to France every year. African Union has said they need 100 billion a year for the next 10 years to completely build out African infrastructure. That's only two years of takings from France. So I was on a mission to educate the African diaspora about what was really going on in Africa. Well, France took embrage on that. And, uh, um, and so to some extent, my contract being uh, terminated at the time that it was, um, we do believe it had something to do with that. 
be it as it may, uh, it was time. I felt that uh, that which I came to Washington to do, I had accomplished. And it was time to uh, move on uh, to the next chapter. And so when I left office, I decided I have some time. Let me sit down and, and write a book. Uh, why? Through the book, I'm hoping I can uh, continue to educate and inform uh, more people. I hope the book can end up in schools as required reading uh, in high school as well as in, uh, in universities. I hope that the book can provoke the much needed conversations uh, about the black race and how there is a strategy that goes back to uh, colonization and uh, even with uh, slaves, um, they had a strategy to, uh, to, to brainwash and, uh, and uh, control uh, the black race, even uh, there's an element of that uh, also religion played a role there where they were sent to Africa to make sure that uh, black people are subdued and, uh, uh, and are to give up all our, our culture, uh, our norms, our developments, everything to do with us. Uh, the, Christian, the Christianity did a good job at getting us to uh, give all that up and adopt, adopt uh, the Western ways of living, uh, Western ways of doing things. Um, so be it as it may, we are just uh, followers. Uh, we are guests uh, in, in somebody else's agenda. And I wanted people to realize that. So that's really why I wrote the book, to say this is how we got here. These are the games that are being played on us. And what happened before, what continues to happen to this day. And thus, so we end with, what can we do to begin to turn the corner as a race? We live in this beautiful country of the United States, where it is a melting pot. With the exception of the American Indians, everybody else here is an immigrant, is a descendant of an immigrant. The other races, if you look around you, you ask for the voices of the uh, Italian Americans, German Americans, Irish Americans, uh, Chinese Americans, Indians from the country of India. They're organized, they're loud and clear. They work together. They're anchored back to their countries of origin. They know where they come from. The only people who are not anchored, who seem confused about where they come from, are the black Americans. Um, and so- and it's, and it's time now for us to really read Africa 101, have the wake up call, and really begin to, uh, for African Americans, to also have a clear and clean understanding of where they came from. Ambassador, I really appreciate it, and I hate to cut you short. I wish I had more time here, but um, you know, I have a hard stop here that I need to cut things off. I do really strongly encourage people to get Africa 101, The Wake Up Call, by Her Excellency Ambassador Erikana Chimburi Kuao. Did I say that right yes. this time? <laughs> yes, you got, you got it right this time. Yay. Um, and, uh, you know, it's an amazing book. Ambassador, I appreciate so much the time that you spent with us, giving us a little primer on, uh, on Africa and what's going on with her these days. Thank you so, thank much. You so much. I appreciate you, and thank you so very much. I hated so much to have to end that interview. I would have liked to have gone another hour and just let the ambassador speak, 
pour into us, share with us historical information. Um, any of you that know me know that I am a huge proponent of all of history. The good, the bad, and the ugly, we need to know all of the information. It's only in the knowledge that we then have the power to be able to use choice. Without choosing, we are constantly victims. When we use our choice, and that choice needs to be based out of the full information, especially the information that maybe you don't want, especially the information that's difficult, that is not pleasing and pleasant stuff, so that you can then know better and do better, as Maya Angelou used to say. It's really, really important that we do all we can do and we collect that information so that we can make this world a better place. I was so grateful to be able to spend the time with the ambassador. Like I said, I wish we could have even spent even more time uh, on the call and recorded, you know, even another hour of her just talking and sharing the information with us. But I help, I, I really hope that it helped you and that you find yourself up leveled and in that information, you can now choose to do better and to live even more so as a thriving entrepreneur. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com, schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free, it's guaranteed, it's proven, we've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve, reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now, what are you waiting for? Grab a pen, here we go. All you gotta do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com, Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me here today on Thriving Entrepreneur. I hope that you're ready for this next one too. We're gonna give you some information, some ways to take a shortcut to success, especially when success seems impossible. I just felt like this particular book and this author was the perfect combination to the information we got from the ambassador in the last segment to really help you have some solutions now that you can be in, begin to Take the shortcut to success when success seems impossible. Join me in welcoming John Vespasian. Hey, John, how are you doing today? Uh, hi, hi, uh, Steve. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you show up in the world. 
Yes, uh, I've been writing books about uh, personal development for now uh, 11 years, roughly uh, one book uh, per year. Uh, the latest book is, uh, the title is Asymmetry, and it deals um, uh, with different techniques uh, to achieve success when the success uh, seems impossible. It's about uh, trying to use uh, your weaknesses uh, to achieve what you want. Perfect. So asymmetry, the shortcut to success when success seems impossible. Um, tell us, what's the shortcut? Yeah, the shortcut, uh, if you look at history, because what I've done in the book is uh, to go through dozens and dozens of uh, biographies <clears throat> to try to uh, explore uh, different uh, possibilities, uh, especially for people who feel stuck in their careers or feel stuck in their, in their relationships. Uh, to see what you can do. And what you see in, in history, in, in patterns of different people, different professions, different centuries, is that uh, it's very, very difficult uh, to become successful, to get what you want, to become uh, prosperous, happy, uh, just by working harder, just by putting in more, uh, more hours, just by trying to compete uh, on price. Uh, if you do this linear approach, uh, it's extremely difficult uh, to become successful. What uh, people usually do in history, and you look at, and um, we can go through different examples, um, is to try to find uh, a sweet spot uh, between what they can do, what the market uh, demands, but uh, doing something very different uh, from the average. Uh, otherwise, uh, you are putting it yourself in front of uh, huge obstacles uh, it's very difficult to compete with Amazon, very difficult to compete with Walmart if you just try to do exactly the same thing. But if you take an asymmetric approach, and this is, this is what the book is about, uh, putting a lot of examples about uh, asymmetry. If you take an asymmetric approach and do something slightly different, you appeal to a different crowd, uh, you have a different type of service, you have a different uh, distribution, then you can do really very well and basically you eliminate uh, competition. Perfect. So for somebody who maybe doesn't know, will you define for us what asymmetry is? Yeah, asymmetry consists of uh, approaching a target um, from, uh, from an angle or from a perspective, uh, from a using a strategy that is not uh, frontal, that you try to, you try to avoid face-to-face -face confrontations. You have, you have to uh, use your resources, your assets, uh, your skills, uh, your relationship, uh, to approach a problem, it could be a business problem, could be a financial problem, could be a relationship problem, could be a health problem, because my book is also about um, people who have to overcome uh, severe sickness, and they try to use uh, an oblique approach. They have to, they have to at, uh, attack the problem uh, from what I call the point of least resistance, uh, which allows you to, uh, to win without having to uh, uh, deploy massive resources. Uh, the belief today that uh, keeps people stuck very often is that uh, they feel themselves powerless because they are facing an obstacle. Uh, they, they, they go bankrupt. They, they face uh, business problems. Nowadays, when we're recording this, uh, this uh, podcast, many people feel completely uh, constrained by the situation, by the, by the um, virus uh, story that is, is keeping many businesses completely paralyzed. 
and the way to, to approach the situation, don't go crazy, don't despair, don't give up. You have to find a way to get back on, on the ground and to use your resources in an asymmetric way that delivers uh, the maximum uh, return on investment. So can you give us some historical examples of ways that that did or could have worked in people's lives? Yes, uh, let's go through a few examples because I think it's, uh, it's easier to understand the concept. For instance, um, one of the uh, cases I studied in great detail is the biography of uh, Philip Neri. And I found it super interesting because when you look at history, especially in the previous centuries, um, you find that uh, the qualities you need today in the 21st century to become uh, a successful businessman, successful in finance or successful in any kind of commercial business, were the same qualities uh, that people used in previous centuries to become a leader, a religious leader. Uh, Philip Neri is a, is a saint, is an Italian saint from the 16th century. And I found this story super intriguing because this guy, uh, from the very beginning, he wanted to become a, a, some kind of religious leader. He was a very uh, ambitious uh, man, very intelligent, but he failed for decades. Uh, he has started, uh, he created a charity and he tried to raise money for charity. He failed totally and completely after wasting 10 years. Uh, then he started uh, a, an association to support uh, invalid and sick people. Also tries to raise money, tried to recruit uh, people. He failed again for another 10 years. It was a complete disaster. And the guy was in his, uh, already in his late 30s. Uh, he was uh, unemployed. He was not even a priest because he was not uh, willing to join the Catholic Church. And he was a complete failure, but he still wanted to do something. And then he took an asymmetric approach, which was really brilliant because he tried, I mean, his idea was to emigrate to, um, uh, to India. He wanted to go to China to do pilgrimage, but he was too old. He was already a bit uh, weak because he had, didn't have a good health. And then he invented something that was super clever and typical asymmetric uh, example that I present in the book. He realized he could not uh, uh, do something exotic. He could not go to India. He could not go to China because uh, he was not uh, strong enough. He was already in his late 30s, early 40s. And he thought, maybe I could do something asymmetric uh, where I was living and he was living in Rome. Maybe I could use resources uh, that nobody else is using. And he thought about it for a while and he discovered that, like it happened very often also in the States today or in, uh, in any other country, that uh, churches uh, were empty during the week. Uh, from Monday to uh, Saturday, most churches are completely empty. Nobody's using the facilities. And he realized that uh, maybe I could use something uh, during those days that nobody's using the churches. And he invented uh, uh, what you call a seven church pilgrimage. It was a, an invention by uh, Philip Neri. And he uh, started uh, to preach a sermon every day in a different church. And he did it uh, every evening. He went to a different church. And at the beginning, he didn't have any followers. But uh, the idea was so asymmetric, so original, that uh, after a few uh, weeks, he started to get people interested because they thought, oh, this is really amazing. And nobody is doing this and, uh, and he uh, started to do it also on Saturday morning where the churches were empty. And he created uh, what he called the local pilgrimage. And he took people around Rome, uh, walking from church to church. And uh, he made a little speech on this church. 
And after a few, a few weeks, he was very famous and he started to recruit uh, hundreds of people for his uh, organization. And eventually he became a very famous uh, religious leader. And this is the archetypical example of a symmetry. You use resources that nobody else is using, resources that were completely free, completely empty, completely um, overlooked by everybody else. And like uh, Philip Neri did, uh, he created, uh, I, I would not call it a business because it was a, a religious organization, but this is typical uh, approach of asymmetric uh, achievement by using resources that are almost free of charge or free of charge, completely free of charge, just by having a different approach. And what I've done in the book is to present uh, many different examples in different uh, centuries, different businesses, uh, different skills to show, to show uh, the reader how to use this asymmetric approach uh, to do what nobody else is doing. That's perfect. I love it. So uh, give the listeners something that they could do right now. If they want to begin to embrace asymmetry in their life, what would be the first thing that they could do? Well, the first thing uh, uh, you have to realize is that uh, this is not self-evident. Uh, in the book, you will find uh, dozens of examples, but um, uh, you realize that most people who did it very well, they did it after a lot of trial and error. And if you ask me, what can you do now? Then I have to reply with an example that I present in the book. Um, it's the example of a chess player. His name was Alexander Alekin. He lived in the 1940s, 1950s. He was one of the strongest uh, players in the world. And he had this strategy. Uh, many times he uh, used to play uh, chess games where he didn't have any particular advantage. From the beginning, uh, the, the game was very much balanced. Uh, since he realized that uh, the only way to win was to create, to create asymmetry, uh, he always wanted to have a situation that was interesting where he could take initiative. What Alekin did, uh, and you, when you uh, analyze his games, he did it uh, constantly for dozens of years. Uh, is to take initiative in, in some part of the game. Uh, he, uh, he would take initiative on the, on the queen side, on the king side, I mean, I'm talking about chess. Uh, and it's the same. I mean, you are doing uh, a business, you are developing a career, you are not um, uh, progressing as fast as you want. Uh, you have to create a symmetry. And if you don't have a, an easy answer, because it's not easy to find uh, the sweet spot where you can apply your resources, you have to start uh, doing trial and error, like Alekin uh, did in his uh, chess games, he would take initiative on the right side, on the left side, and eventually he will find something. Um, it is not a very scientific uh, approach, but it works. Because if you do it uh, day after day and you wake up in the morning and say, I have to find a way to do something different. Um, I have to tell you, after a few weeks, it will become very, very sharp. And you will start uh, taking uh, initiatives uh, by changing the way you make proposals, uh, by making some poetry in your proposals, by using a different color in your, in your proposals, by using a different uh, delivery method, you will find ways uh, to do an asymmetric approach. If you do the same as everybody else, uh, you will get exactly the same results. And it's very, very hard. Uh, to fight uh, on equal conditions. Uh, what I try to show in the book is that uh, the easiest way to win is to create an asymmetric uh, advantage that you can exploit. 
The book is called Asymmetry, The Shortcut to Success, When Success Seems Impossible by John Vespasian. John, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Let people know where can they get the book. Yeah, I'm very, very easy to find, very easy to find the book. If you just type uh, my name, John Vespasian, uh, you'll find the book in, uh, in Amazon, in different outlets. You will find my blog. There is a free uh, blog with uh, hundreds of articles. You'll find a free newsletter. Just type my name, John Vespasian, on the internet, and you will find everything in one second. Very easy. Perfect. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today, John. Many thanks, uh, Steve. I really do hope that you made yourself some notes, both from the first segment as well as this one, so that you can use asymmetry to use the shortcut to success when success seems impossible. That you can take the information from history and begin to then do legitimate things that make the difference that only you can make in this world. We're going to take our last commercial break and then we'll be right back here on Thriving Entrepreneur. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com, schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free, it's guaranteed, it's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks so much for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. I hope that you gained, gleaned, grew from the information that we gave to you today. There is so much packed into this episode. And I just know, no, 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 that if you will take the power of information and then use with that the power that each of us has of choice. We can respond, that means choosing, or we can react. That means just simply taking input and just letting whatever emotion drive us. And I really hope that we can choose to take the information, especially the information the ambassador shared with us about Africa and about some of those things that are going on and then choose to make some differences, to let our voices be heard, to let people know the things that are injustices are wrong and that they need to be changed. And then to do our part. Um, you know, we may not be 
the president, the ambassador, the senator, the congressperson for our country, for our city, for our state. But our voice is important. And all it takes for evil to triumph is when good people do nothing. That's such a powerful, impactful saying. And it's important that we embrace that we can be successful. And then we choose to do where we are now the things that we can do. There's so many things that we can't do and they can become overwhelming. But uh, a good friend of mine, Sid Bauman, I'll never forget when he taught me this, it's so impactful. The thing he taught me was we need to learn to control what you can and don't worry about what you can't control. That is the ultimate choice. Um, many of us, myself included, um, you know, I've shared on the show before that, and, uh, you know, everything's relative, because like my aunt who, uh, you know, her and her husband, my uncle, were uh, missionaries in Zimbabwe, where Ambassador uh, Eric Kane is from, uh, you know, for about 20 years. And, uh, you know, she said, we thought we grew up poor until I went and I saw the actual poverty that the people in Zimbabwe are experiencing. And then I, I felt rich beyond measure. Um, and a lot of us are, by American standards, we were born into um, a poverty type of a place. But we can make choices. We do have choices here in America that, for example, as the ambassador was so clearly articulating, they don't even have available to them right now. And we need to use the power of that choice to begin to affect change in our world from our little corner of the world, which starts by us choosing to be the best version of ourselves today. Because you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose. And the world needs you. We need each of us, we need you to be the best version of you that you can be today, to share all of you are, all that you can be to the world, to make a big dramatic impact with that so that you can be the light where you are and do your part to help the people that you will impact with the amazingness that is you. I hope that you will embrace that and that you will thrive as a thriving entrepreneur. Until next week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. 
<laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.